Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society, where we talk about Star Trek movies, or should we say, films. I'm Mike, and as always, I'm joined by Diego. How's it going, Diego? It's going pretty good until you like movies or films. It's just, <laughs> I know you were joking, but that like triggered like a, like a, an angry memory in my brain, and it's the same thing, people. Same thing. Everybody, everybody has their things. I, I, I personally like to go the Billy Wilder route and call them pictures. Oh, I love that's that classy pictures. Yeah, like Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah, yeah that's that. Nothing better. Yeah, and of course we're also joined by Marcelo. How's it going, Marcelo? It's going fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just realized. You, well. Not to not to destroy the intro here, but like, you ever had that feeling in school where you you you, you get there in class, you sit down, you have like the sense of calm, you know, just because like you're usually just a calm person before something bad happens, and then the teacher says, "All right, uh, turn in your homework from last night," and then you realize you forgot to do your homework, <laughs> oh, and then a shit. big sense of dread goes over. You go, "Oh." Fuck me. So we'll get into that later. So that's how I feel. Uh oh. Are you trying to tell me that you didn't watch uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine Inquisition? Listen, I had a long weekend. <laughs> okay. And I had a had a trip to go visit my parents for the first time in like four months because this whole pandemic thing. I had to worry about that. Then I came home, watched in the darkness, fell fast asleep, and then watched like four hours of Hamilton today <laughs> because of a podcast. So yeah, the deep space nine episode we were supposed to watch. I just did not watch. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that until just as we started recording. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, you'll definitely have to check it out. It's got some cool stuff in it. It's got William Sadler. It's got Jeffrey Combs. going to do that right after we record. I all right. Uh, yeah. All right. No, you, I, I think, You'll like it a lot. I mean, I don't want to hijack the intro from you, Mike, but should we just like get into that now then? Because it's just me and you that saw it. Sure. I'm just going to walk away and just like come back in 10 minutes. I don't don't want to ruin it for Marcelo. I mean, we can definitely deal with it, you know, next time. But it's interesting for this episode because even though, I mean, retroactively, you don't realize it until like maybe close to the end, but it really kind of like lays the groundwork for what we see in into darkness in, in a more meaningful way than, than the con stuff does, I think personally. Um, but had you, had you seen, I mean, just to, to kind of tease it, we won't, we won't get into any specifics, you know, but um, had you seen that episode before Diego? I had. Okay. All right. Cool. It's still, I, it's still pretty badass. Can I ask, is no, it considered yeah. like one of the best of the series? It's. I mean, it's considered to be a good episode. This particular episode by itself is not considered to be like elite level, but it introduces a thing which carries through all the way to the end of the show. Which I mean, it's kind of. I mean, this, we were halfway through the last season, or the, the second to the last season. We're halfway through season six out of seven. But there's a thing which carries through the rest of the series and has since become a fairly large part of the canon. You see it on Enterprise, you see it in Into Darkness, and you see it 
in Discovery so much so that now that element has its own spinoff show, which is being developed, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh. Um, so it's kind of cool that this one little episode, which is kind of a bottle episode, became such a huge part of the canon. So... Can I can I suggest something radical? Maybe you can just cut me out here yeah. um, and and don't even consider my idea good. Um, <laughs> what if in the next session we record, we start by talking about that, and then we take that thing and drop it in right here, <laughs> and then we talk about Star Trek in the Darkness like we were going to do anyway. But just for the next ten minutes is what we're going to be talking about in the next session. Does that make sense? I, I think maybe just because of the conversation about into darkness, it makes sense if we do that, but put it at the end instead of at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. We'll do that at the end. So okay. this is all staying in, but at the very yeah. end of the episode, yeah, I, I will have seen it because of the magic of editing. Yeah. <laughs> shove that in the end. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Cool. Cool. So something to look forward to and a discussion to look forward to. Um, but until then, we've got something else to discuss, <laughs> yeah. and, and that is the 12th Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, as far as the development of this, not really much in the way of drama or anything like that. I mean, they made 09, everybody loved it, they wanted everyone to come back to make this one, so they did, you know, J.J. came back. He brought back Kurtzman and Orsi. They added Lindelof to the mix, because uh, why Why not? And um, they made Into Darkness. I mean, there is a lot of stuff leading up to the release of this movie, which was rather interesting because of uh, J.J.'s uh, mystery box uh, fascination. But, you know, that's kind of all other stuff, which we'll get into here. So... Marcelo, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of In oh. the Darkness? Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you're coming to me for this. Um, so the, the 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 crew of the Enterprise, they're a fresh ragtag, a fresh ragtag crew who uh, go on a mission in the in the cold open of this movie. Um, what they end up doing is uh, breaking the Prime Directive, um, and because of that. Uh, Kirk is demoted. Spock, um, I think he's like cast off to another ship. Um, then they eventually run into um, some dude who plans a terrorist, who who uh, successfully accomplishes a terrorist attack and continues to terrorize Starfleet. And they go on the hunt for this man who reveals himself to be somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. That's basically it, right? I'm not going to spoil it because we're we're, we're going to jump into who this Mister, you know, who this mystery man is. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, Diego, did you see this movie in the theater when it came out? I saw this movie opening night. I, I won't spend too much time on it because we're. I feel like we're kind of teeing up our thoughts for right now. <laughs> But I was very excited for this because of how much I loved 09 and because I now had gotten, like, friends I went to high school with into it. And we were all, like, ex- like everyone wanted to see more movies with this cast, what other adventures they'd go on. The lead-up from, like, 
blog sites was really exciting too at first because it was like what are they even going to do for the sequel like who's the villain going to be are they going to do Khan again well maybe that'd be too soon that'd be kind of a bad idea i think and that was generally agreed to be like the consensus that would have been a bad idea if they did that for the second <laughs> film oh maybe they don't even need a villain because star trek is so much you can do anything now and then you know opening night i loved it i i had a blast watching it i was like i probably need to watch that again but that was a really exciting moment-to-moment thrill ride. It was kind of a lot to take in, but let, let, let's see how that holds up. And then I ended up not watching it again in theaters un- until, like, just because life stuff and, you know, you don't always watch stuff in theaters more than once. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the, so opening weekend, thumbs up from Diego. <laughs> All right, what about you, Marcelo? Um, opening weekend, Marcelo did not like this movie. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then... Um, Cut to, I think I was watching a lot of J.J. Abrams movies before Force Awakens. I think I saw this again. Um, Was not a fan still. Um, But hey, for this podcast series, I'll say this. This is going to be a shock to everybody here and everybody listening who listened to the last episode. Me saying I I was dreading this moment. I liked it more this time. Maybe because of... I just understood more of what was going on in terms of the war. And I think why that is, why I understood what was going on is because of what we're, do- what we're doing here in this series. I know more about that stuff, so I cared more about that stuff. Whereas when I first watched this, I could give two shits. And I didn't know which, which alien was which. So giving that, you know, with that into account... I'll say I enjoyed this more this time around. Um, I have problems with it, for sure. I'm frustrated with it. But overall, I can say, eh, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm more in the middle now. So, yeah, that's, that's me and Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay. I, I was obviously really, really looking forward to this movie, especially after how much I, I liked 09, but also, um, like... But before this movie came out, like in between the two movies is when I got into podcasting and when I got into Star Trek podcasting and got into network and everything. And after spending like a year or two talking about Star Trek with no new Star Trek, this was the first new thing, right? The first time there was actually something new to to discuss. So I, I was really, really looking forward to this uh, so much so that I was kind of um, bummed when I realized that this this family trip uh, that that we were taking to Paris um, coincided with the release of this movie, and that meant that I wasn't going to be in um, the U.S. for for the opening of of Star Trek Into Darkness. I was going to miss it by a couple days, and that kind of bummed me out. I mean, not to, to be like, oh, you know, poor me, you know, going to Paris or whatever. But honestly, as much as I'm intrigued by Paris, I'm more intrigued by Star Trek Into Darkness. So that was kind of a bummer until they moved up the UK release date by a week and put that a week ahead of the rest of the world. And then I was like... I'm I mean, like, globally speaking, 
I'm going to be pretty fucking close to the UK, right? Like, how do I get there? And I'm like, oh, I've seen Mission Impossible, the channel, you know? So, you know, and, and of course, you know, my family was like, why are you do? Why would you do this? And it's like, well, I mean, for a number of reasons. One, uh, I, I've never been to London and chances are, you know, when am I? I'm, I've never been to Europe. Europe. I've been to, to like Canada for about two minutes and that's it. Right. So the idea of like me ever getting a chance to see London again, that's that's it's it's not likely at any time soon let's put it that way so here's a here's here's uh, my chance but also i will get to see star trek into darkness a week early at the bfi imax which is um i believe the largest imax screen in the world or or it's certainly up there it's it's one of the very tops so i'm like okay we have to do this we have to do this so my wife and my sister and i took the channel to london spent a couple of days there bumming around the city and everything like that which is it's an amazing city um sorry paris but london is is kind of awesome and then we went to see star trek into darkness at the midnight show uh in in london at the bfi imax and um i I really really loved it and i still really really love it and for a long time i thought that maybe it was just because it was the new thing is the thing that I, I was least familiar with and had uh, the, the most to sort of mull over. But when uh, more Star Trek started coming out, I realized that, no, it's just that I really love this movie. Granted, I have some problems with it. I have some really big problems with it. But I think on the whole, it really works well. So let's get into it. Now, Diego, you talked about opening weekend, but you didn't talk about this weekend. So uh... <laughs> there's an evolution that's been happening with my relationship to J.J. Abrams. Okay. Uh, I brought it up a little bit in 09 episode where I said, like, it it's a film that in spite of what could, like, be flaws for a lesser director or a separate movie like that that movie has like i don't know what makes it work so effortlessly but whatever it was wasn't around for into darkness because i think boy we got problems up here that being said um the set pieces in this are maybe the best abrams has ever directed I think every action set piece in this would be like the finale of a solid action adventure movie. It still really holds up in that regard, and it's still really, really fun. If you can ignore that it is basically nonsense every 15 minutes and doesn't actually have, like, it can't commit to a single idea. But there's a lot of really good ones in it. They just... I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> like, every 15 minutes, it's like, well, you did something... You, you broke the Prime Directive. That's so bad. Even though the Prime Directive is like a weird 
malleable thing already anyways but whatever and then uh, oh you, you lose your ship ah oh, you get your ship back right away oh here's, here's a shocking revelation doesn't really matter oh my god the bad guy is your possible new girlfriend's father oh it doesn't matter because now Khan's the bad guy oh yeah by the way it's Khan is the bad guy which yeah. uh, I, I was, think I was might be for the, us to say that yeah it's I think might be the biggest hang up in like movie history for uh, until another J.J. Abrams sequel <laughs> but <laughs> Um, don't let him do sequels to his own movies anymore. That's my that's my pitch. But um, it is half a really fun adventure movie, and then half a really bad movie. Like not even Star Trek movie. I just think it doesn't work on its own terms. So that's that, mixed feelings. But I don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we touched. We might have touched on it briefly on. This on uh, the mystery box element of J.J. Abrams' work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about it now because that's my problem with this movie. <laughs> is that yes, Benedict Cumberbatch? I I've gone on record. I don't know when I said this. I've I've said it semi recently in the last few months. Oh, on on the uh, Lord of the Rings podcast, I occasionally do. And it comes out every like nine months. Um, when we were talking about uh, him playing the dragon, I go. Him as an actor, I like, but he's very unusual, <laughs> okay? It's not, like, a bad unusual. It's just, like, it's hard to cast him properly, I think, you know? He is miscast in this completely. I do not like him in this at all. He is a bad con. No good. Um, take away the fact... I don't even know... I mean, Mike, you might know more than... Or maybe Diego, too, about, like... <sighs> canonically what Khan's racial ethnicity is? I don't even know. He's Indian. He is yeah. he's in, okay. He's, he's Southeast Indian. Asian. Okay. But specifically Indian. Yeah. So Which the if, original series does admit Ricardo Montalban played him, you know, so it's not yeah, like okay, it was yeah, a shining yeah. beacon of representation. But <laughs> again, yeah. It was twenty thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> so with that it's that's not my it that is a hang up, but that's not my main hang up. It's just that I just He's just—it's just odd choices with him. He's just a very weird dude who's just miscast as the villain, and I don't buy him at all, really, as like a as a as a figure that's like um uh, that is supposed to be like Kirk's like uh, uh you know uh, uh ying to his yang. You know, it doesn't work in my head as well as like the original Wrath of Khan. So that's my problem, and the fa- okay, then the mystery box aspect of the whole thing. Of I don't know why J.J. Abrams just really kept that a secret from everybody. It was the worst kept secret ever because everybody like who didn't know by the by you know right before they saw it that it was going to be con. It was always going to be con. I the mystery box. I don't understand it. I I, I it, for me I'm trying to think of like one instance where it's worked for Abrams. Like maybe lost, but he but he was not even he's like he was just a producer on that really right he didn't really have yeah he he kind of kicked it off and then he left and then I mean I th- I think the rabbit's foot in Mission Impossible three works oh yeah um, yeah that's a lot of fun and you know yeah. and, and I I mean some of the stuff that he was doing on Alias uh, I think you know worked pretty well um, I, I do think that his sort of like fascination with the mystery mysteries just in general is kind of weird and i do think that here it's 
really pointless. I, I don't understand yeah. why he he would do it because what and 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 they did. It's like one of those things, you know, like when uh, it, I mean, it, it, everybody he like back when they were doing press for the first movie, they hadn't yet decided that this was going to be a mystery. So there are a couple instances where he was openly talking about Khan, you know, being the villain in the next movie. And even to the point that originally Star Trek 09 was going to have a credit cookie where you see the Botany Bay, which is a Khan ship floating in space. And they decided not to do that because they didn't want to lock themselves into having to do con if they came up with, you know, a, a better idea or a different idea or whatever. But then they ended up going with con anyway, which in a lot of ways makes sense. It's kind of like going with Joker in the dark night. It's kind of the next logical thing from a movie perspective, even though it is kind of weird because I mean, this is something that a lot of people have talked about, but like, Khan is not Kirk's Joker, you know? He doesn't need to... I mean, it's, it just so happens that the best Star Trek movie, you know, the definitive Star Trek anything, happens to have Khan as the villain, right? But that's not, like, a defining foil for Kirk or anything like that. It just happens to be in the best thing, you know? See, well, on that point, I think this movie believes that Khan is Kirk, Kirk's Joker, and I think yeah. that's its weakness. The, yeah. the the fact that they bring in um, Prime Spock to, and I hate that scene too. I hate mm-hmm. it, it. It 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 is pointless. Cut. You can cut that out, and it'd still be the same thing. But the fact that they bring him in to say. Yeah, we went against him once, and you know, we suffered some consequences, and you know, I'm, I'm assuming he told you know, new Spock everything. Like a uh, prime Spock goes, "I died. Do you believe that?" And then they brought me back to life, and then <laughs> the Enterprise blew up. Make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah, it's 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 the movies. I think I think it's the movie's biggest weakness. Close second being the whole nine eleven thing, which we'll get into, but. Mm. Yeah, uh, I don't know why J.J. Abrams kept it a secret. I'm saying it in quotes, you know, up until the premiere, and he just flat out says he's con like 30 minutes in. So, yeah, no, I don't like it. It is interesting, like the name of the character John Harrison. Originally, it was John Erickson. Um, that's how it was throughout filming, and they overdubbed it to, to change it to Harrison. Uh, the reason being that uh, if you go back and look at the original scripts for Spacey, the the episode that Khan first appeared in, originally it wasn't going to be um, like a a Sikh. It was going to be a Nordic guy who was named John Erickson, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so so they were being clever with it. And then they realized, um... People will, will figure that out. So they changed it to John Harrison. Doesn't matter. Which, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't matter at all. Abrams' whole thing he's talked about was like, I want to keep it a secret because I want audiences to be surprised. Because he's all about that, like, what the audiences want, immediate, like, entertainment impact. And, like, you know, I do appreciate that. 
but like O nine has more on its bones than just like sugarcoating like entertainment. There's like an actual like narrative to that, you know, there's like dramatic rises and falls. And um like again, like I didn't know that it was a full on like alternate timeline reset thing. So I was very shocked and surprised. And he worked way harder to hide Khan than he did the alternate timeline. And I thought that was great. But the film revolves around that. And even like, even if I could get on board with doing Khan again, where he's white, um, (laughs) I believe there's some expanded material where they say he went under like surgeries to change his identity and appearance. Yeah, it's. It doesn't work if you have to do all that. That's what it's... But even if I could get on board with Khan again, the movie doesn't revolve around, like, his character's identity. So the revelation is literally just him saying, my name is Khan, and then the conversation moves on. But it's a dramatic pause for the audience. So it's this weird, like, disconnect Mm -hmm. that just... It doesn't land, you know? I think of something, like, to, to bring it to Star Wars for one second... I think there's a reason why the revelation that Kylo Ren is Han Solo's son in The Force Awakens work is because it's not a big revelation. It's just Kylo Ren and Snoke talking. It's a revelation for the audience, but it's like, hey, this is something you have to deal with because your father's Han Solo. And it's like, okay, but the movie doesn't like stop dead in its tracks to be like, huh? Huh? You know? And then in Rise of Skywalker, spoiler alert, no one cares anymore. <laughs> but like Kylo Ren, like there's, it is a big moment, or it's supposed to be a big moment where Kylo Ren's like, you have your grandfather's power, you're a Palpatine. And it's just like so weird. And again, even if you can get on board with something like that, the movie wants you to feel a certain way about it. And then spends the rest of its runtime not even trying to justify the revelation just throwing more plot at you because look let's look at the subplots in into darkness there's the discovery of a of a new planet with a new species that they um that they almost like leave to die but then decide to save breaking the prime directive because they interact with it with a, a new world new civilization right without like the proper like they they change the course of their evolutionary chain, right? That's the first 15 minutes of the movie. That's actually a really interesting question, I think. And then it's, Kirk, you're not responsible enough. We're taking the Enterprise away from you and we're scattering the crew that you disassembled. Compelling stuff so far, moderately. It's a little, a lot. Then a terrorist attack and then another terrorist attack and then now you're on a manhunt and you're having Scotty question whether or not he's involved with a science expedition or are they just like an extension of like fascism basically right a compelling question doesn't have anything to do with the first 15 minutes of the film (laughs) but a compelling question and then it keeps going and going and keeps changing (laughs) like why do they do that just choose one one of those is fine i don't have any problem with the open i mean the opening is the same as the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, no, no, I, you know? I like the opening. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you can have that disconnect, you know, and and it's it's fine. It's a different adventure. It's the end of you know the last episode instead of you know whatever. So I don't have a problem with that shifting gears. I, I mean, I think that all that other stuff is kind of built up pretty well. Honestly, I I, I think that that it, it's structured perfectly fine. I don't have an issue with any of that stuff. 
Um, I mean, my my biggest issue with the movie in general is uh, the casting of Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, and it's not even something where I th- like like you were saying, Marcelo, where I think that he's bad in the role. I don't. I think that he, as an actor, is really good in the role. I just don't understand why you would <laughs> cast him as Khan. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, maybe that's my all. disconnect. I just don't see him as Khan. You know? I mean, yeah, and, and, and I mean, if they would have said, you know, like, here's a character, here's a brand new character, whatever, and, and even if, you know, whatever, even if they, they were like, oh, um, we're making this movie called, or this episode called Space Seed, and we're casting Benedict Cumberbatch as this character, I'd be like, cool, you know, that's all good. His interpretation of Khan is perfectly fine, but I don't understand why you would cast a white guy in that role. That makes absolutely no sense to me. And I mean, yeah. just for a little bit of history there, they had originally cast Benicio del Toro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watching this, that came to mind. I, cause I was like, did I make that up or was that a real thing? And, but yeah, nah. you confirmed it, Mike. Benicio yeah. That would have been great. <laughs> that right. would have been amazing. It, it's still, still weird because he's, he's a white passing uh, Latino man, but like, this is literally like the lowest common denominator, but like at least he's a person of color. I mean, right? it, like it, it even, is, even I, then, at the time like, I, I thought it was really weird. Like, um, okay, Khan, you know, who's Indian, he, I mean, but Ricardo Montalban was Hispanic, so you know, so we'll cast Benicio del Toro. I mean, that just makes sense, right? Like. No, I mean, the person, like, back when, like, 09 came out and, you know, Lost was huge and everything like that, and it was pretty obvious just from, you know, movies that the con was going to be the villain. I mean, connecting all the dots and everything like that, I was like, well, they should get Naveen Andrews to play Khan. How fucking badass would that have been? That yeah. would have been pretty he cool. He would have been amazing. Like, uh, Benicio Del Toro would have been fine, you know, whatever, but Naveen Andrews, like, he would have killed that. You know? Yeah. Um, the, the other yeah. person who they were... Cons- I mean, the, the Benicio Del Toro thing didn't happen was because they, they couldn't come to terms of, in, with money. You know, they, they had a... They, they, they just couldn't reach a deal. Um, but, and then when he backed out, they were looking at Edgar Ramirez from uh, Domino. Oh, yeah. It, uh, I, 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 doesn't he star in that movie Carlos, too? I think so, yeah. Carlos as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he would have been He's cool. Great. Yeah. But. See, uh, I, okay, going back to the person of color thing, I would have only had, like, a better, like, perspective like mindset about the whole thing if you took out the john harrison shit if you just said this is Khan from the start if it was basically otoro or edgar ramirez as Khan from the start i would have been more inclined to say that's great whereas starting cumberbatch as john harrison then him revealing he's Khan, it just it's like a layer on top of a layer of like 
misunderstanding i think of character and casting and uh, it, it it frustrates me that's that's the main thing yeah i mean the the the, the john harrison thing is weird you know i, I it just the whole thing I, I mean i don't know if that's necessarily a problem in terms of like cumberbatch or whatever but it, the fact that they did cast <laughs> a white guy like adds like a layer of doubt to the con conversation like yeah it can't be con because he's white right like <laughs> it's like but then also throwing in the whole like verbiage i mean not verbiage like syntax like john harrison is the whitest name you can come up with yeah and then you know con i forget his full name this is my favorite movie Noonien con union scene con yeah, yeah con union sing like opposite from john harrison <laughs> yep. i mean so it's like so it's a shitty alias to begin with you know in this movie john harrison <laughs> And, you know, to, to Cumberbatch's credit and to the writing, I'll, this is – I'm going to be nice to Kurtzman and Orsi because I, I bet Lindelof punched up some of this because the dialogue was not this strong for my, my boy Nero in 09, um, whom I still love. Uh, but I think the dialogue for Khan is really strong and not nonsense at all. And there's the scene, which is my favorite in the film, and it's wh- it's right where the film starts to nosedive for me, but it's still my favorite scene in the film, where Khan gets the one-up on the Enterprise, and Kirk and Scotty and um, Alice Eve's character, who I cannot remember her name, and she was in the original series, um, and then they're just having a sparring contest, like a verbal sparring contest back and forth, like, okay, let's play this out logically then. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And Cumberbatch is just killing it. Like, his voice is so awesome. Um, and he has this great line where he's like, and no ship should go down without a captain. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's a great, like, moment. And then it's like, oh yeah, this is this doesn't mean anything now. But I, I really like that scene, and I think in another movie, as a generic British villain, he would kill it. <laughs> like he would have been a good Die Hard Six villain, I think. Yeah, he would have yeah. been a good Hans Gruber baby or something. But uh, Hans Gruber's nephew. Yeah, Boom, done. Yeah, yeah, awesome. There you go. That's all you need. Uh, but. No, the, the concept doesn't work in this movie at all. And I, I forget which one of you brought it up, but it's an interesting point that, like, would it have worked better if it was just, like, a new villain? Like, because nothing about the Khan character actually relates to anything yeah. that happens here. It's also a problem. I don't know if you want to jump into this aspect of it, but at the end of the movie, when Khan, having thought he had lost his... Um, family, his crew, right? Um, the torpedoes. He <laughs> he he takes control of the ship and rams it into Starfleet, and it's stark and it's brutal. And I don't know how many people die, but the fact that it's supposedly you know Khan doing it, played by a white dude, it just sends a bunch of mixed messages to me. So that. If they had left that in and like had like a person of color do that, I don't know. It's just it a bad hat. I'll talk about a bad hat. I, I I cannot remember where I read this, but I'm ninety percent sure I read an interview with uh, from like the writer saying that they wanted to change Khan to a white person because it would be weird if like uh, 
a, a brown person was doing acts of terror. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I did. I did. Maybe don't do that, that too. at yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, he he suicides t- nine eleven into- San Francisco. That oh he did. my! That, you could say that. Yeah. Like. It's oh my god. Ob- obscene and. It's not the fact that he does it. It's the fact that it happens. You see all this destruction. You see it's San Francisco, right? You see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ha- it seems like half San Francisco got wiped out. And then a, a scene later, who gives a shit? <laughs> they have like a memorial, but it's not to the scope of like there's been a national tragedy and thousands of people have died. So, yeah, that's that's rough for me. That's my second point. Of contention of this movie, it's Khan, and then it's nine eleven, <laughs> the nine eleven aspect of this thing. Yeah, and, and I guess I've never really. I mean, usually when people, you know, bring up the nine eleven stuff, like I guess what I always think of is kind of like the stuff with Marcus and the idea of, um, you know, starting wars based on things that you know you kind of manufactured yourself you know that sort of thing um and and that stuff i find to be like really interesting you know like uh, if there's a big criticism of 09 it's that it doesn't have the sort of complex societal messages that you know star trek is known for and i think that's one place where this one sort of like succeeds where 09 might fail in that, you know, it really does get political, you know, and, and, and starts like bringing up a lot of like weird, uh, questions about, you know, authority and, and stuff like that, you know, which, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's certainly, I mean, even though it is like 12 years after nine eleven, it still feels like it was something which was really a pretty big part of the the culture back then you know mm-hmm. yeah mm. i mean i'm not i'm not gonna say this time around okay let me backtrack like initially when i saw it i didn't like fully grasp that aspect of the thing i didn't realize i guess i didn't i didn't like well i, I just saw it as like a blockbuster and i hated con that's what my first reaction <laughs> then seeing it again diving deep into it and knowing Orsi and knowing, you know, how he's a uh, conspiracy theorist and, you know, truther and all this stuff. Uh I, you know, I correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, because like, that's my perception of what, who he is as a person. Yeah. He's pretty uh, open about that. He's, um, you know, yeah. 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 So with that in mind, it's like seeing it again, I'm like, okay, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and but now seeing it this time and and I, I had this in mind uh, you saying you know last episode and you just brought it up again how like Star Trek 09 didn't have much to say about politics or the world around us really and it's not that that's a bad thing in that context so that's a, that's a great movie here I I can say this for the first time I appreciate what they're trying to say you know about you know, fascism and how they manipulate people and how, you know, war is the number one option and to get to it, they'll do anything necessary in their eyes, including killing, you know, hundreds of people. Um, But how they do it, it's so on the nose and it's irritating to me. (laughs) It's, it's too direct and they could have used some finesse, especially at the end when, 
con 911 San Francisco. So yeah. I, I never I mean certainly like when I watch it and I see like these buildings, you know, get destroyed, like I mean there's no way that you can't think about 911 when you see that, right? But I guess I never really put together the idea of like, you know, a pilot you know, flying <laughs> a plane. You know, I, I never, I never once thought of that. Uh, maybe because it is on such a massive scale, you know. But I guess that's, I guess that is what it is. Yeah, it so. did. It did hit me more this time watching it. Like yeah. him screaming at the comm, saying, uh, "Target Starfleet," and he's like the only one on board, and you just see whoosh, uh, the whole thing happen. Yeah, it's fucking crazy man and yeah. and just real quick and then i'll shut up for a minute like you know oh, remind me who was behind cloverfield like the writer and directors who was it, well, it was matt reeves. True, true goddard wrote it yeah, yeah and goddard, then yeah. matt reeves directed matt reeves yeah but it's still like bad robot right yeah, like he produced yeah. it, yeah. and produced Abrams produced it like that is a better 9-11 allegory you know far you know far and above this like they handled that with like their own like finesse you know it's not direct it's still like horrific it's still it, i watched it recently semi-recently a few months ago and it still hits me pretty damn hard chlorophyll i think my, now more than ever this is like the complete opposite it's like it 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 it, it, it knows what it's doing i see what it's doing it just it just doesn't doesn't do it very well so i mean i think that it does it in a completely different way from Cloverfield. I think Cloverfield um, is taking that and sort of looking at the impact that it has on society, you know, by, by taking a look at, you know, like people on the ground, like, you know, one group of friends and seeing how like that, that violence impacts them. Right. Um, but this I think is much more, um, sort of like theoretical, you know, like yes. this, is, this is, this is much more about like the, the motivations of the people and, and not even, not even the motivations of the people uh, of the, of the attackers, but like how people take advantage of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think that, I mean, I, I love Cloverfield, you know, and, and I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess if I had to compare the two, which is better or worse, I'd say that I prefer Into Darkness, but it's not necessarily because of the 9-11 allegory or anything like that. But I think that it's it's two movies which look at the same, like, large issue, but different different yeah. points of those. I And I guess my... The one thing I maybe wish this movie could have done better was the handling of the violence at the end. Yeah. You know, I know, I know it's already like an hour and uh, one hundred thirty-two minutes, like two hours and ten minutes, right? You know, I don't know what you, you could cut plenty out, right? But <laughs> but you know, just the handling of the violence is, and like that's what I see is like the connective tissue between Cloverfield and this at the very end. So maybe the fact that they dismiss that violence yeah. is like my problem with it. I can so, see that, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's that's how I saw the end. It's just like, it happens. And to your point, Mike, it, it is a lot of, it's about the machinations of leading up to that event, but the fact that they downplay that event at the end, really, they don't really hold that as an important thing, that's, I guess, my problem. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I could totally see what Mike's talking about too. Like, because you know, Starfleet is like as as a, the literal enterprise is like for good and like spreading charity and like knowledge and sharing it with other civilizations across the galaxy. Right? It's a very pro empathy, pro not just human, obviously, but pro species like community of um, of ideals, and so like. I think it is worth exploring that idea, like, what happens if someone tries to make Starfleet not that? What if someone tries to make Starfleet, like, a military, like, a straight-up military organization, right? And that is an idea that will come to play again in this series. Um, and that, that's that's definitely worth exploring. And I, I love that Star Trek is a series that's so pro-science, and I, I think it's so rare to see a movie that is so pro-science in the scale. Like, I know... Godzilla King of the Monsters isn't everyone's favorite movie, but that's that's a pro-science disaster movie. Pacific Rim is pro-community, pro-science, and Pacific Rim also came out this summer, or the same summer as Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting balance there, because that one is about a straight-up military organization learning that you need more than just punching things really hard to be like... To, to save a race of, of beings, right? And so I don't know. I, I think that that's really that's not a bad idea for a Star Trek story. Yeah. No, it just doesn't I, work here at all. Yeah, again, like that's what I appreciate. It's like those moments when it's it's Scotty who's like saying, you know, I'm not going to put these torpedoes on the ship, and he resigns. And like to me, it, it, seeing it now. Um, it, it that holds more weight for me, like that whole conversation, mm-hmm. um, especially between Spock and Kirk, and then Kirk finally saying, "Okay, we'll just capture him." Like that's good stuff. That is, you know. But then, you know, then the rest happens. So, yeah, it, it's know. like the second half almost negates its own argument in a, in a way. I think because it's yeah. so action focused, and I yeah. think you could still make it work. I this is this this is a problem with American blockbusters in general this last decade where the the endings are so big and devastating um that you almost have to like now this next decade I want to see this more you almost have to make the stakes about stopping the fight before it even happens because there's going to be so much destruction on like such an astronomical scale and so much loss of life and property that like it's not fun to watch anymore. It is It is just, like, numbing and unsettling now, especially in the world we live in now. So, like, yeah. I think it It also just would have been more creative and exciting to see the Enterprise stop Khan from 9-11-ing uh, San Francisco. Like, okay, we have, like, three minutes before he, like, breaches Earth's orbit or whatever, right? Like, how do we stop this jumbo ship from, like, destroying it? Oh, no, no, we got science. We could t- uh, teleport, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Just, I think that would have been cooler. But And to sidestep on that point, um, the destruction of San Francisco and then the chase that happens right after, I'm assuming, oh, yeah, there's a chase after, I forgot. There's a chase. Wherein Spock tries to kill Khan and only stops when he realizes he can save Kirk's life. And I'm like, how much blood does Khan have? How much more people can they save? <laughs> it's, like, it's like maybe not just one guy, maybe a few others, a few hundreds. I don't know. But that thought of like, yeah, um, doesn't it kind of negate the whole... It, 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 this movie... D- okay, let's... I think we can shift 
to like the Kirk Spock thing because like that yeah. stuff I like. Okay, that whole um, them starting off as just not like they're f- close to friends but enemies really. They're on each other's nerves and they're debating like what to do. Like the whole you know um, good for the uh, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, the second half of the movie just kind of throws that, throws that away for me. Doesn't really work, especially at the end. But I like that conversation that that they have, you know, as characters. That I can appreciate. Um, and yeah, that I guess that's my point. Like, I, I that is one aspect of the movie I like this time around. Just seeing those two come to terms with each other and being friends, and you know, realizing they need each other. I, I like the the buildup of their relationship. I like all that stuff. I like thematically what's going on there and everything like that. But I guess, you know, reincarnation or whatever, you know, <laughs> bringing, bringing people back from the dead, that's kind of dumb. Um, and, I mean, I guess this is something which, you know, we, we, we haven't talked about yet, the ending and how it echoes uh, Wrath of Khan in some interesting ways. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, let's kind of get into it, I guess, like sort of beat by beat. So there's, there's a, the, the roles are reversed and there is something which needs to be fixed on the ship in order to save the ship. And it's not Spock who goes in and sacrifices himself to fix the ship. It's Kirk. I'm totally okay with that. I think it's a little, it doesn't really work for me the way he's kicking that thing into place. Like how does he, whatever, kick that, it doesn't matter. Um, But the idea behind it, I think is really interesting. The idea of Kirk dying is really interesting. And and as I was watching it, there was a split second where I was like, are they going to, are they really going to just kill him off? Like that would be badass because nobody would see that coming. That would be the coolest thing ever. Um, but then they bring him back to life with Khan's blood. I think that's a little dumb. Yeah. And then the the other thing which everyone always brings up is, you know, Spock yelling Khan, um, which, granted, it's dumb. You know, got some chuckles in, in the theater, you know, and it's like, we're really doing this. Um, but in the end, I mean, is that like something which is like crippling to the movie? No, it's just they were being cute and it was <laughs> it was a little over the top. But what do you guys think about all that? The reversal, Kirk dying and coming back to life using Khan's blood and uh, and sure and Spock yelling Khan. <laughs> I like the reversal. Con yell 2.0 is it's ridiculous. I can't believe I ever liked that. I'm sorry to everyone out there with taste. I can't believe I liked that at one point. But uh, the reversal is, is like not a bad idea. And then I find this version of Spock more compelling than this version of Kirk. And I love both the, the characters in, in New Trek. I, I, I really like them in the Kelvin timeline. Um, but I, I think Spock has a little more like elasticity with like the stories you can tell with him in this one. Like they really brought the human emotion component to the forefront, and so I was like, I, I was like, you, Mike, like, wow, like they can really like go places with this, and they don't. But it, 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 it's a good idea. It's one of the many good ideas in this movie. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe this movie needed to be the third 
in a series, and there should have been another movie before this to kind of explore these other elements and characters more. So, too, you know, I think that would have made stuff land harder, even if it was just as messy in its final form. Well, let's let's come back to that in a minute. But Marcelo, what what, what do you what do you? Think? I I mean, like I said earlier, I I do like both Kirk and Spock in this and their characters and like their entire arc, like. Okay, we touched on the Prime Directive. Real quick. As, uh, is it really a big deal if they broke the Prime Directive? Is it Was it more big of a deal that Kirk just lied on the report? Was that the main reason, or was it just the fact that they broke the Prime Directive? Because- I mean, breaking, breaking the Prime Directive is the, the big deal, right? Like, you can't do that. That's the big thing. It's like the number one rule in all of Starfleet. That being said, I mean, it's something which is always debated in in that uh, short trek where they're stuck in the elevator. There's even a line where Spock is like, do you ever think the prime directive is kind of bullshit? You know, <laughs> and uh, like, but that's something which I think a lot of, you know, people watching the show and a lot of people creating the show have thought of, uh, you know, over the years, like them freezing that volcano that's totally breaking the prime directive you know them getting seen by by those people that's that's another big thing and i mean that 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 there's some interesting stuff that you could do there there's some really interesting stuff that you could do there and that they have done like there's that episode of the original series a piece of the action where uh they go to the planet and it's all like chicago gangsters and it's because some other human was there and they like left a book oh. about like Chicago gangsters. And now that's what they base the whole, you know, like there was going to be a, at one point they, they were going to do a, an episode of deep space nine where they go back to the planet and everybody's a Trekkie because <laughs> when Kirk and Spock had gone in there, they like left their phaser behind or whatever. And then they base oh, their great. entire race around that. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do with that. It, and I, and I understand the motivation for making it like the big thing, but at the same time, like, you know, maybe it's not as big of a deal as, you know? Yeah. Like to me, I didn't think breaking it was a big deal in terms of like, because to me, it seems like it it, hap- it it tends to happen more often than not. I would think, you know, it happens maybe, a lot. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that aside, the you know, the point. Like it, uh, earlier, I said some of the points they were making, the writers maybe too on the head, maybe just too much. The moments I I don't. The ones I think that where it works are when like Kirk says something like, you know, what would Spock do in my position, and then Bones says he let you die. It's like I appreciate that moment because you know it, it's it you know it's a foreshadowing to Kirk dying. And I think he has a good arc. He he kind of realizes that he can't just go on luck alone. He can't just think selfishly. He has to consider everybody else. You know, um, and Spot. I'm kind of conflicted on Spock in this actually because it, it's I don't think it's the character's fault. I think it's just kind of like editing for me in this like i think the adr some weird line here and there to kind of just add more character depth where i don't think it needed it you know in the ship where he um uh gets berated by zoe saldana you know i think they added more lines in than they needed to like him saying i don't want to feel fear because the last time i felt fear was when i saw my planet you know you know explode 
I think they added that in, it seems like. And they could have not had that and still had it be just as powerful. Um, but now, I mean, I, I bought Kirk dying in terms of an emotional impact watching it now. I think I hated it really back then when I first saw it. I think this time around it worked for me more because I guess I like the characters more now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, the scream is cheesy when he says Khan. The chase I didn't like. The It, it was maybe a bridge too far to have Spock just flat out want to kill Khan. I didn't buy that. Um, so yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And then Kirk coming back to life. I don't know. Just by that point, I was like, this movie's dumb. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. It's, it, I don't, like what, what else could they have done? Could like could they have really gone the the search for Spock route and like have Kirk just completely die? You just resolve it in the next movie. Well, just don't resolve it. Just have him be dead. You, you really know? wanted him to be just dead, Mike. I, just I, no I, Kirk. W- I thought it would be a very bold move, and I think as someone who has seen at that point a hundred and ten episodes of of this crew of this specific crew with this specific dynamic, I would be okay deconstructing it a little bit and saying like, what is it when Kirk's not there? You know, what does it become? I think that that would be a really interesting look at, at, at the, at that series. Um, but I, I'm not surprised that they didn't do that. You know, it, it kind of goes into the blockbuster mindset I think I have, and I think a lot of people have now, where I expect fully for every character to live and come back. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just one of those things where, like, I have no problem with it really in the at the end of the day because I, I knew they were going to have him back. So and, and that, that was, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, what you're saying makes perfect sense and why I didn't really ever think that that was going to be, you know, the case, but at the same what, time... What you're bringing up would have been an immensely interesting if they dare to say Kirk is dead for right. sure, he's not coming back, and let's just see how it plays out. But they would have they never would. done that. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's like back when they said like, we're restarting the timeline or whatever, you know, JJ was like, I mean, one of the cool things about this is that anything can happen. Like no character is safe. Anyone could die at any minute. And, and, you know, because it's like they, they don't, it's a different timeline. They don't exist, you know? And it's like, well, that's really cool. But at the same time, the whole reason why you did this is so that you could tell stories with these characters, right? So you're not going to kill off the main character because the whole point is to tell stories with the main character, right? Yeah. So it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, anyone can die, but no one's going to. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but going back to a point that, that Diego was making, you know, saying that, like, this might be better if it was, like, the third movie and there was something else in between. Um, one of the other problems that I have with this movie is the fact that it feels like a retread of the first one in that regard. Like the first one I thought was extremely well structured. I mean, granted, I think it's a little cheesy that, you know, everyone falls into their place, you know, so when by the time we get to the end, everybody's where they should be instead of this happening over the span of like years or whatever. But it's like even 
they did, you know, kind of like the same thing they did in Casino Royale, where it's yeah. like <laughs> you get to the end of the movie and you've earned that, you know, space, the final frontier. You've earned the original series theme song. And it's like now we are starting this journey with these characters that we know and love. I mean, even with, you know, old Spock saying like, you know, warp speed ahead, whatever he says, you know, thrusters on full, whatever it is, like we are starting, we are good to go now. And then with this one, it's like, once again, they're telling the story of how they got there, right? Like, oh, well, he's not ready yet. He's going back. No, now he's got to prove himself. And then they have this adventure and he proves himself. And now we're going on our five year mission. (laughs) And it's like, I thought we just did this last movie, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I know this isn't what you were saying, Diego, but like, I kind of feel like there should not be another movie in between because I feel like this is the same thing that we just saw in the last movie. You know what I mean? I, I, I would say I, I hold my point. You have to change this movie's like DNA a little bit though, because yeah. it cannot, you cannot kick start the, the five year mission at the end of this one. I, there's no reason to believe the first movie did not kick off the five-year mission. Right. I think that's what everyone assumed when they saw it. Like, yeah. oh, okay, now they're going to have adventures off in space. They've saved Earth. Now they go do their thing. And then, like, oh, we're back on Earth. And and that is something, speaking to the blockbuster thing, I think this is something that Lindelof talked about, which is, like, you know, in the market research and everything, they were like, oh, you know, people don't want to see – them on the bridge people don't want to you know people want to see earth you got to have them come back to earth right and it's like the original series like the entire original series they go to earth like twice you know and it's in like 1969 or something like that it's like you don't have to do that in star trek but you do in a major blockbuster so that's what they did and and a, a lot of these things uh, like the massive scale, the massive destruction, all this stuff, you'll you'll see that the reaction to that is taken into account when they decide to do what they do with Star Trek Beyond. So, see, I had the exact same thought, Mike, as you. Casino Royale came to mind, yeah, and you know, Skyfall, and the fact that oh yeah, in, that too, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in Daniel Craig's. <laughs> Um, uh, Bond universe. He's rebooted himself like twice already. That's maybe true. three. Maybe three times in No Time to Die. Who knows? Um, that I was like, this is Skyfall, but, but not as good. Um, I, but I, here, here's here, here's why I didn't have a problem with it though, because I still think they're like young dudes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how young they were in the original series. I can't imagine that young. They seem they're, like they're in their mid thirties, right? They're younger than this. Like this all takes place before the original series would have even started like uh, this, like uh, so, they say and it's like 2259 the original series starts in like i mean in for real in like 2266 but theoretically they took over so this is like 5 years before the original series yeah, yeah. so i still the way i rationalized it like, like made it work in my head it was like yeah they're still young dudes and they have like a few years to get it together so why not just say they're not ready yet? So I kind of bought that whole, you know, rewind, like reboot in the second movie. <laughs> like, let's do it all again. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I, I bought into that. So that I was okay with. So, but I, but I get your point though. Yeah. It's, 
It's weird. I don't know. I just wanted to see them fight a giant green hand, so I was always <laughs> going to be disappointed in this movie as I got older. Well, you do see the giant green hand and beyond, so... I'd, yep, there we go. <laughs> yep. Um, okay, so... I guess that's pretty much it. Any other thoughts on Into Darkness? Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, for me, I, I, I still think the, the original crew from the first one, they all work still amazingly well together um they're uh, they're like they're kind of separated but i don't know it still works peter whaler we didn't talk about oh yeah he's oh yeah cool. robocop yeah <laughs> robocop. i appreciated again what they were trying to say politically with this character um but yeah i don't know how you guys thought of him as a villain i thought it was just okay this has the same fine. plot as call of duty modern warfare 2 <laughs> Or that like not a, a season of Twenty Four. I can't think of it right now. But or a sure, season of Twenty Four. Yes. Yeah, one of the one a, a plot of Twenty Four did the same thing too. Yeah. Um, he he yeah, actually I, appeared on the in the finale. Well, the sort of finale to uh, Star Trek Enterprise. He played a guy who was like um, the head of like an organization who was like really like xenophobic and didn't want like humans <laughs> mixing with aliens and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah and I just realized Peter Willer, I think was also on 24 playing a villain. Oh, of course. So. Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> that's right. And, and the, the creators of enterprise after enterprise got canceled, they all went off and started writing for 24. So take that <laughs> as you will. There you go. Um, right. There was one time completely unrelated to anything, but one time I was uh, in downtown Chicago at the Virgin Megastore and I was going out of the store. I was leaving through the exit door and this guy who wasn't looking, um, like starts walking in through the exit door and he says like to someone on the street like hang on hang on just a second i gotta go get something and then he like runs right into me and he's like oh excuse me and then he keeps on walking i'm like what's that what's that and then i go outside and there's harris Eulin who uh is in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, by the way, and 24. And he's sitting there on his cell phone and he's like, yeah, Peter just went into the Virgin Megastore to get something. And I'm like, holy shit, RoboCop almost ran me over right now. Um, so so that's, that's my uh, Peter Weller story, uh, for what it's worth. He's good. Uh, I have actually three points, and then I'll shut up for okay. a while. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. I, uh, going back to Mystery Box, J.J. Abrams, um, I was wondering what in the past had worked the best. I think for me, I just realized uh, the, the moment that worked the best for JJ was force awakens when I had no idea of the plot of the movie at all, really. And whenever that scroll came up that said, Luke, uh, Skywalker, Luke Skywalker has vanished. vanished. That was a complete shock to me. So congrats, JJ. It worked that one time really well. Okay. Uh, point two. Um, we didn't talk at all about the Klingons. Oh, That's yeah. important, right? Yeah. No, 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 and then, nah. and then, and then, point three. We didn't talk about this, which I think we should, we should bring it up. Alice Eve and the fact that Kirk uh, looks at her changing. That was a point of controversy when this came out. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That yeah. was it was a little a little weird. Which you know, in their defense, they were like, yeah, <laughs> we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, just want to put that on the table, just uh, you know, just to bring it up because yeah, it's it's odd. It's an odd moment. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's a little weird. Um, so so the uh, the the Klingons though. Um, I mean, 
they're setting something up here, you know, and I mean, we can get into this more next week. The development of Star Trek Beyond was not nearly as smooth as the development of Star Trek Into Darkness. But the original plan, I mean, back when they were on top of the world with Star Trek 09, they already had, you know, movie number three all mapped out before they were making movie number two. And the idea was that number three was going to be, you know, sort of the culmination of this uh this battle or this cold war with the Klingons and, you know, they were the big baddies and they, it was going to be like an all out war in which the Klingons come to earth, you know, which is again, got to get back to earth. (laughs) Um, But uh, once, once, uh, you know, things ended up the way they did with uh, into darkness, um, they changed course and then they changed course again. And then maybe once or twice more. <laughs> or a couple of course corrections. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, we'll get into that uh, next week for sure. All right. So, um, I guess that's pretty much it for this. Um, now, we will cut to our discussion about uh, Inquisition, the Deep Space Nine episode. And, you know, that's almost certainly going to lead to more Into Darkness conversation, which is cool. Um so here's that. All right, so we are back, and Marcelo has now seen Inquisition from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yes. Which uh, introduces Section 31 spoilers. And what did you think? Oh, start with me? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we waited, what, like a week, more than a week, for me to watch this episode. Not that it took me a week to watch it. It just it took us a week to get back together. Um, because, yeah, I had no idea what this was about. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it reveals something at the end, which I'm guessing is a big thing in Star Trek going forward. It seems going like Going forward, it. Yeah. yeah. At the time, it was just like, what? But, you know. But, yeah, yeah it is very... Oh, remind me when this episode uh, was released. What year did did this come out? Uh, this would have been probably um, late 97 or early 98. Gotcha. Uh, almost certainly it was early 98. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it feels, I think, I think I said this with the, with the other deep space nine episode we saw. Um, it felt very much like of this era, like a, well, like a post nine 11 era um, ahead of its time in terms of like, government uh overseers and the hidden bureaucracy that uh follows and tracks us and uh keeps us down as a people but yeah it's 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 a good little episode that has many twists and i was like just impressed by it all the way through so and william sadler as um the 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 head inquisitor yeah yeah i love the man he's great yeah, and he comes back throughout the rest of the series and, you know, has yeah. a nice little arc, which is cool. I figured that happened since, like, at the end of this episode, they're like, he's a doctor, right? They go, Doc, yeah. now you're a spy. Go see what's going on with, with that, uh, them guys, the men in yeah. black. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I like this. Um, uh, I think I think we mentioned this maybe uh the beginning of this episode but like the, uh, this is considered like one of the best right episodes not Maybe. not really 
No, I mean, no. one of the worst. Like it. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you know, people like it, you know, but it's it's more that it, you know, kicks off the whole Section Thirty One thing, which people really respond to. I mean, plays a big part in in Deep Space Nine, but then they brought it back in Enterprise. Uh, you know, where it's revealed that one of the main characters actually is secretly a section 31 agent and there's this whole thing where conflict where the captain is like no you work for me you know like that sort of thing and then um they obviously in, in into darkness you know the movie that we watched that's the whole thing with peter weller's character you know which i think is interesting because because it it was just an element which could be used effectively to, to tell this story you know and it's one of those things which I also think is interesting, you know, at a convention maybe a year after this movie came out, someone was talking to Iris Stephen Bear, who was the showrunner on Deep Space Nine, and he's like, you know, they're like, well, what what would you do, like, what would a Deep Space Nine movie be like if it came out today? And he's like, honestly, it would be all about Section 31. So that was definitely where his mind was at. Now, granted, it was at that particular time and you know our history and all that stuff but um yeah the other thing about it is section 31 has been introduced into discovery and it plays a fairly major role and there is now a spin-off series in the works which will star Michelle Yeoh um, so that is interesting. I mean, it's like a whole, and people don't really know what it's going to be. They've talked about it being sort of like a more of a fun, almost like Mission Impossible like show kind of thing. So, which seems to be pretty different from the dark roots that it has here. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh in Section Thirty One coming. Well probably not anytime soon because they're focused on a whole bunch of other crap first, but it'll be cool once it comes out. So <laughs> oh, for anybody who's just jumping in and just, you know, doesn't bother to watch the episodes or has no idea about the section 31 thing can, can you explain it? Just, just what it is in the Star Trek universe. Sure. It's a secret organization, which apparently has been around since the beginning of the Federation, which works, you know, completely off the books. They're, you know, all black ops, whatever, and they do dirty covert work in order to keep the Federation running. And that's sort of like a running theme throughout Deep Space Nine. The idea that Star Trek presents a utopian society where uh, there are no problems, everybody gets along, it's all, you know, sunshine and roses all day and all that stuff. But how does that society work? I mean, Deep Space Nine really is kind of like a deconstruction of the Star Trek future, Roddenberry's vision of the future. And the question that it's constantly asking, which it asks explicitly in an episode where they say, like, um, you know, the world is paradise. It's easy to be an angel in paradise, but who keeps it that way? And it's people like Section 31, you know? And, and you know, it, it goes to some dark places, and it's uh, pretty interesting. I don't know. I, I, but I think it's cool. I think Section 31 really uh, brings 
out some interesting stories. And I mean, it's been used numerous places, none as well as Deep Space Nine, but uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, I, I am a big fan of this episode and I, I would agree it's not like the best one by any means, but it's not like, you know, not a lesser one. Um, and I like the character of Bashir a lot. So, like, to have him at the forefront of, like, this kind of, like, espionage little story is, uh, is is really exciting. I have mixed feelings about a Section 31 show because of the dark roots of that agency. I mean, that, that you know, not to blacklist myself from the world, but, like, it, it's like the CIA a little bit, right? It's like... <laughs> Like Star Trek CIA, you could say that, right? I'm not going to get or, murdered. Or Star Trek CTU. Or yeah. there you go, CTU. That's a that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. FBI agent watching me through the phone. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's not not always not not exactly something that we should be shining a completely positive light on in the Star Trek well, universe. So the Mission Impossible setup does worry me a little bit but apart from that i I like this episode a lot yeah i mean a a lot of people are i mean it's it's impossible to say like what this show is going to be because it's become sort of messy in the discovery era like for example for this like super secret organization like pretty much everyone seems to know about it like that sort of thing like they even (laughs) wear like com badges where they have like special section 31 com badges and it's like but i thought the whole supposed to be secret yeah but whatever it's it's a cool looking badge i got one myself it's like black with like the silver thing on it got this 31 tattoo look at it yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) so you know there's that and then like Michelle Yeoh's character being in it is a whole other thing, which we won't talk about because of spoilers. And then, you know, you have people who are like, Oh, this is going to be really dark. Like, how do you do a show about section 31 and not make it dark? And, and, and all the things that you're talking about, Diego, and you know, the creators of the show are like, it's not going to be that it's not going to be dark. It's not going to be, you know, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and then people are like, okay, well, how, how's okay. that going to work? <laughs> a fun show about a covert, uh, like government agency. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I guess there's ways to do it. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. If it even pans out, to be yeah. honest, at this point, so yeah. because yeah. like, um, I mean, have I talked about twenty four in this show? It seems like I have. Like, yeah, yeah. Have. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. But get into it. But we can get into twenty four a lot more on the next episode. So. <laughs> but um, like that show has a special place in my heart because I grew up on that show, and it it was like appointment television for at least like five or six years, right? But that was that was made like right before nine eleven and then ran through post nine eleven. And I don't think it I don't think I would seriously cons- like I would have to change my entire point of view of it if it if it were released <laughs> as it is in twenty twenty, you know? Because it I don't know. I'm a different person. It's a different world. So yeah. Hopefully 
you know, they handle that Section 31 show, I don't know, with some intelligence behind it, <laughs> rather than, just, than it just being like, rah, rah, you know, let's get the bad guys because we're a covert team. Um, yeah, like, I, I think it's okay if art doesn't always align with us politically, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, he's he's a touchy subject with film Twitter, but, like, as Craig Zoller, like, I really like Bone Tomahawk. It's mm-hmm. very clear his politics are a little more right-leaning than mine, you know? And uh, to, to the point of 24, you know, like, it's not my fault. It's a crazy badass show or Jack Bauer's like, where's the bomb? Like, like every time. And I'm like, yeah, get him. But if it was like a real life thing, I'd be like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is bad. This is a pro torture program. <laughs> but I like, guess, if, you know, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's okay to have complicated feelings about art. I don't want to dismay anyone with like, I disagree with this art, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I love the Mission Impossible movies, and aren't they just a covert team, right? Um, But I don't know. Like, 24 to me, and I'll stop with the 24 talk here, but, like, it just seems more... No, no, keep going. It rules. We're going to get into 24 in the next episode. Okay, okay. It's it's unavoidable. I'll I'll save some of this for the next episode, then. But, like, 24 is just so entrenched in, in the real world to me, but... You know, thinking of it like Star Trek or like Mission Impossible, like that's kind of like, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's 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 beyond. You know, it's ah. it's, it's otherworldly. Even Mission Impossible. It's I mean, they have fake masks and you right. know, they play they play Halloween. It's 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 more fun. So um, you know, yeah, it can be handled fun, but we'll see. I don't know. Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You could find me at the Diego Crespo and on the Waffle Press and YouTube and SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and, and Patreon. And at this point, the next retrospective series I'll be doing over there will be available at least a couple episodes um, for the Avatar retrospective. So go go check that out. It's a good show. Yeah, James Cameron. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to wedge that in there because it's actually very important for the cultural context of okay. that series. M-, M-, M Night Shyamalan. Yeah, it's definitely getting talked about. <laughs> okay, all right. What about you, Marcelo? Uh, TalkFilmSociety.com. If you've stumbled onto this, you know whether it's months down the line in its own feed, then hey, this comes from Talk from Society. Check us out, TalkFilmSociety.com. Listen to our podcasts. We have plenty. They're all great. Um, read our writing. Uh, lately, we, we've been getting some new writers uh, with some great new articles. I'm very happy with with what's going on at Talk from Society. Thanks to Sarah Sorrentino, one of the editors. She'll never listen to this, so <laughs> whatever. I'm just saying she's doing great work. Um, but yeah, and also the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Talk from Society for more. Also, Black Lives Matter. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, and another show in the same feed called Elementary Temporal Mechanics, which is a Star Trek Deep Space Nine reference, where we <laughs> break down uh, the the the, um, the uh, time travel in both Star Trek and and movies in general and see how it works or doesn't most of the time. Uh, so yeah, that's about it. 
Oh, 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 yes. I'm sorry. Also, as long as you're over at filmdamagepod.com, uh, you know, if, if you're there in August or whatever or later, we will have commentaries for every single episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, the new uh, animated series Woo! coming soon. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's about it for now. We'll be back with a, for our final episode next time talking about Star Trek beyond but until then are you guys ready oh oh i was uh, i was gonna bring this up um i was gonna suggest and you can just dismiss this if you want but uh as a callback to one of the famous lines said in star trek in the darkness i think we should add on you should have let me sleep at the end of our catchphrase (laughs) okay all right all right should we just do that one instead all right we'll do that Uh, yeah let's do it three all right ready yeah three three Two, one. You, you should, should have, have let me, let me sleep. sleep. <laughs> I don't know how he says it in the <laughs> movie. He says it like that. He says it in like, okay. it takes like five you seconds. Should it's fine. Let me sleep. Yeah, and then, oh, there you go. Like a watermelon. Oh.